I'm Richard Dodd, and you're listening to the Ecology Academy podcast. This is a show where we get to talk and learn about all things ecological, including interviews with top ecologists, both employers and employees, those working with ecologists, and also aspiring and inspiring career-seeking individuals setting out to make a difference. The show aims to provide you with insights, advice, and inspiration to help you succeed and excel as an effective ecologist and to make a real difference to our natural environment. Today I'm talking with yet another one of my colleagues, Michaud Baxendale, on the Ecology Academy podcast. Now, Michaud is a dual qualified environmental consultant working across both ecology and arboricultural disciplines at Wildwood Ecology based in Stroud. So, Michaud, welcome to the Ecology Academy podcast. Yeah, great to be here. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. So, um, we're going to go into a little bit about yourself and also what we mean by dual qualified environmental consultant as well. So we'll have a look about that. But um, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself in terms of your career to date. Yeah, so it's, I guess, a somewhat interesting one because it doesn't follow that standard sort of path that you see. Um, obviously, I started out really as a volunteer with sort of local conservation charities. That's how I got into the industry of ecology. Um, mostly with um, a sort of local environmental charity, a local back group and the local wildlife trust. That's obviously what led me to realise I want to do this as a potential career and got into my degree. And which, uh, when we talk about local back group, where, where are we talking about? Uh, Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire. So yeah, yeah, Gloucestershire back group and also with the, the caving group there. And that's, that's where I discovered my love of bats. So I think that's really what sort of sparked it off was actually seeing some bats in real life. And realizing these aren't just you know some kind of make believe right. <laughs> thing; they're a real, real animal, and there's conservation work needed to to sort of to make sure they're doing well. So from there, obviously, went to university, did a degree in Liverpool in um, environment and um, uh, environmental science, and then my first sort of position was a sort of very standard field assistant ecologist. Um, and that was fairly standard, I suppose, but it's from that point on where I had the opportunity to train up in the field of arboriculture, where I guess my path sort of deviated. Mm -hmm. um, so that was primarily as I was trained to be a consultant, um, I was asked uh, that uh, the role for arboriculture was open and uh, they were interested to see whether ecologists could potentially train up into, the, into that field. Um, I suppose it might, might be worth touching on what actually is uh, the sort of role of arboriculture well, compared to ecology. Well, actually, <laughs> before we, I'd like to go even further back, you know, mm -hmm. right, so in terms of your choice of degree at a Liverpool University then, mm -hmm. so um, you, you mentioned, what, what was the degree again, sorry, you was in? Uh, I believe it was um, environmental science. Environmental science. Uh, so, environmental science and ecology. So why did you choose that degree over any other? And also, I mean, I mean, uh, uh, if you don't mind, you know, Liverpool University itself. Mm-hmm. Well, originally I was actually looking at potentially doing graphic design, yeah. Um, but I felt like that wasn't something I necessarily needed a degree to do. I could build up a portfolio in my own time, so I felt like ecology sound, sounded interesting. There was field work involved. Uh, Liverpool University had a they got a strong tie with the marine biology and conservation side of it as well. Um, so they have like a research vessel um, that we we could go out on a few research trips, um, and it, it just seemed like an interesting degree. So. That's sort of why I went went down that down that path. 
And it was it's you know it was a full you know three years there. Did you do a placement year or anything like that? No, yeah, mm-hmm. th- three three years there. Um, I suppose instead of doing a placement year, what I was doing was that sort of volunteer work with like the local back group. Um, luckily, I I knew that the main thing that employers would be looking for going into it is things like your licenses for protected species. Mm-hmm. So, I had already started working on my bat license, keeping a log of uh, of what what I'd been doing with the with the local back group. Okay, yeah. So, so that was something you were doing at university. So, other be, were you in into bats before you went to university, or was it something that's a yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that I'd already been volunteering with the with the local bat group. Okay, so uh, before yeah, right. before I joined university. So that's something I carried on doing in my spare time. Um, and then I did I did some work during a sort of summer job, um, setting up reptile fencing mm-hmm. uh, for a local local company. Um, and that's where I realised that I wanted to make sure I did well in the degree, so I didn't have to spend every day putting up reptile fences. Well, this is this is I mean this is the reason why we sort of draw it out really that um, you know it's you know we all just say we went to university and then we did this. We're actually you know it's what sort may set some people up you know mm-hmm. you know not leading you in a questioning here, but is that what you did either before, during, or you know at the time when you're just about to leave university is those things that preempt. Okay, what sort of career direction you're going into that? So you've got the, you know, you, you know that you need maybe a bat license. You're interested in bats uh, itself themselves. Um, you know, you've, you 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 you're volunteering and uh, at the same time. So w- w- you said about a field assistant role then mm-hmm. uh, when you first. I mean, how long was it after you left university? Did you get that position? Was it set up at? the time so you knew you were going straight into a job or no that that took quite a while I think that's something to not be um, well ashamed of if that's what happens because that definitely happened to me I think there was a good probably six months or so yeah where I was trying to find positions unfortunately when I I sort of finished university obviously the sort of into sort of September time survey season was winding down there weren't there weren't any openings so what I did was that's when I joined uh, the Wildlife Trust and helped uh, sort of volunteer with their reserve team. So I had something that I was I was going out to do every a few days uh, a week, some something more I could put on my CV. And one of the other things I did was I found a company who were doing basic training um, sort of training sessions on some of the topics that I knew would potentially be important to mm-hmm. uh, a new employer because obviously I had the scientific side of things I'd, I'd written scientific papers I'd done research I'd done field work at university but I hadn't done the specific field work required for consultancy so I found a, a, a consultancy who were providing that, that training to, to learn how to do things like phase one habitat survey uh, dormouse surveys um got some training in, in doing GIS. So I just, the money that I, I'd saved up from that summer job, I put towards about three or four training courses. So I had that on my CV that yeah. I knew how to do a phase one, I knew how to do dormouse surveys. Um, and I believe the other one was G, uh, Great Crested Newt surveys. Right. So I did, a, I did a two day training course on Great Crested Newt surveys. Mm. And then from that, the person who did the training was able to um, sign off on those two days worth of training I'd done and obviously that then meant I could take that forward to towards a, a license once I started in the position. Okay, so so you so therefore you you sort out these courses. It was you know mm-hmm. yourself. Uh, yeah. yeah. So so it's being that. So what we what I mentioned quite a lot on the, these podcasts is that you know seeking out you so being proactive and going out and getting you know the obviously you knew that 
you need that experience or, or sort of the information on your CV. Exactly. In order to, yeah, so it's, it's, it's building that um, portfolio up, as you say. To, yeah, to, to, and, to and I suppose it's, it was easy for me because I, I, I had inside knowledge in terms of people have told me what, what was needed for, for ecology, but you could very equally just go, you know, look at some websites for the companies you're potentially applying for yeah. and look at the kind of surveys they offer. Because, you know, if, if it says they're offering phase one habitat surveys and newt surveys, then or whatever surveys it is in the in the consultancy you're looking to, to potentially join then seeking out if, if not training courses then at least maybe the information might even be available online yeah you know phase one habitat survey all you need to do is read through the GNCC habitat guide uh, book itself and you you could potentially sort of even if you don't have the training course you could say to your employer well I've studied this and I, I understand these parts of the, the methodology that yeah. I know you use yeah, I think it's absolutely great because it's um, it's something that people say, oh, you know, I, I can't find a course or uh, I haven't got the experience. How can I get this job if I haven't got the experience? And people forget they can mm-hmm. learn themselves. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you you know, I mean, what from a, as an employer's point of view, I think what's great is that someone who can demonstrate to me that they are, you know, they have gone out and learned the skills themselves. They show that passion and uh, understanding and want. The job mm-hmm. <laughs> more than anyone, uh, you know. Uh, maybe if a CV came across my desk where they'd said they had some experience of phase one, which just tended to be at university, that's fine. But, it pro- but I know that at the university is probably just limited to one maybe session. Yeah. Whereas, uh, yeah, great. So, uh, so I interrupted your flow about okay, the dual role. So what? So you, you mentioned that field assistant role. And mm-hmm. then moving into that, um, you know, that little bit of ARB work. So, what prompted the not move, but maybe transition between the two, or, or, or augmentation between the two? Yeah, exactly. So, obviously, for the ecology work, that was primarily at that point. I've been doing phase one work and sort of some protected species surveys, bat surveys, reptile surveys, the sort of thing that you start doing as an assistant. Um, but I think perhaps what my employer at the time recognised was obviously that passion for bats and. In in relation to that was trees. So mm, obviously, mm, mm. Um, bats and trees are that's a key sort of habitat for them. And um, from that, I suppose it was the fact that arboricultural consultancy is a sort of I guess an adjacent uh, field to ecology, but one which is um, a bit more specialised, specifically on trees, woodlands, hedgerows, um, everything to do with that. So that's that's obviously where the the term arboriculture comes from is the care and management of trees so arboriculture um, and that's that's potentially I guess one interesting thing that's worth worth mentioning is that difference between arbor, uh, arboriculturist and an arborist oh yes so you've got an arboriculturalist someone who is more involved in the management surveying um, understanding the health and well-being of trees um, it could be anything from a sort of tree climbing, um, a sort of maintenance of trees, but also sort of preservation, conservation, maybe even uh, so. What I was looking to sort of be trained into is the planning side of trees, because there's, there's quite a few laws and sort of planning policies surrounding trees that are quite specific. Um, whereas a sort of arborist is someone who typically would be more involved just in the direct maintenance, tree felling, pruning, that kind of work. Whereas an arboriculturist is looking at the whole sort of um, system of caring for and maintenance and even planning around trees. Mm. So, given that's uh, that's, it's, it seems like quite a narrow focus. Just all you do is trees, but the more you delve into it, the more you realise it's it's a it's quite a specialised, deep set of knowledge that someone potentially needs 
to sort of help manage our sort of trees and woodlands. And I think what they were looking for is someone who not only knows enough about trees and the sort of planning side of things, but someone who's can be an advocate for trees because I think that's something that we clearly we clearly need more trees in our urban environment and we need to manage and maintain the trees we already have. Yeah. So that's that's where I, I, I suppose the interest in that role came from is that sounded like something that I'd be interested in because it was it was really involved in sort of there was the bats side of thing and bats need trees and then well we as humans also need trees so um, the sort of role of arboriculture seemed like uh, an interesting sort of sort of direction to go in. So okay, so 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 it's a direction that uh, you say you identified yourself then in terms of you know it wasn't it wasn't something that's. Uh, you know, you were directed towards, or you may be directed towards, but also you, you know, you obviously it's an interest as well. Yeah, I think I think it was a combination of the two. I yeah. think I think if I if my employer hadn't said we we have an opening for a, an assistant arboriculturalist, would you be interested in mm. training? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't think I would have realised it was even an industry or yeah. or a, a field of work. Um, obviously, um, most people going into arboriculture will have started out with a sort of forestry degree, perhaps, or maybe even. Um, you know, a, a diploma, and then they they often start out in that sort of directory maintenance, and then work their way towards consultancy. Whereas I sort of, I guess, where it's interesting is I've sort of come at it from the opposite direction. I already was working consultancy with a environmental degree, not directly forest related, but obviously some of the modules were on trees and forests and, and yeah. woodland. And then once in that industry, I then discovered it as a sort of pathway to come to. So I've sort of come at the for, uh, arboriculture industry from the sort of other side of it, which is already being involved in the consultancy side. So I think that's that's probably one of the key things is just potentially even just making people aware that arboriculture is a profession, um, one which is uh, really quite highly sought after because there's not many people with that expertise on trees. Um, and we, we can get into it a bit late in more detail when we talk about what sort of skills you need, but there's some very sort of highly specialised skills that sort of goes a, a bit above and beyond what I was really working on in terms of ecology. So in terms of, I mean, yeah, absolutely right, we'll, we'll talk about skills very shortly. Um, in terms of just going back, well, not going back, but in terms of the, I suppose, the difference between academic qualifications and maybe professional qualifications. Mm-hmm. So in terms of, well, we, we know in terms of an ecologist, there's technically no academic qualification you need people say you need a degree but this, this you don't have to have a degree to be an ecologist uh, uh, but are there any academic or uh, certainly yeah we'll go with academic are there any academic qualifications you need to be an arboriculturist so that was perhaps i'd say i guess we can we'll touch on this as well, as well later as well is um it coming into it from this sort of dual discipline um starting out as an ecologist getting into arboriculture it, it was a bit difficult because i didn't have that um, that dig- I, the knowledge from, for example, a forestry degree. Yeah, yeah. So as mo- like you said, obviously you don't you don't need that degree to necessarily carry out the work we do, but it's kind of that sort of fifty meter swimming badge. If you have the degree, then your employer looks at that and, and knows well. Then they've clearly done this sort of scientific study. They've perhaps written scientific papers. So even even though it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a good ecologist, it it evidences that you've been through that process. And so I had to try and replicate that without having had the degree initially. Um, so in terms of arboriculture, obviously, um, in order to sort of 
joined the um, Alborough Cultural Association, so that's yep. the equivalent of sort of the Chartered Institute for Ecologists mm-hmm. um, and Environmental Managers, so SIEM. Um, what what I initially was looking at was what what were their joining requirements because uh, that's typically the way that you show that you have professional um, sort of membership. Um, and the one thing I've, I've discovered very quickly was uh, if you have a forestry related degree or um, that sort of degree or diploma, uh, it's quite simple to get into the Arboro Culture Association. They do allow you to join the Arboro Culture Association with a related degree, and I found on the list is one of the related degrees is anything to do with ecology okay um however yeah what you needed to do was i needed three years worth of experience to uh, to go alongside my application in order to join so it was that trick the first three years were in that tricky situation where in order to be professionally doing the work ideally needs to have the professional membership but in order to get the professional membership they said I needed three years worth of experience mm-hmm. b- because I had a related degree not a direct forestry degree um, so if you go on I'd say if, if you're interested in arboriculture the first thing I do is have a look on the arboriculture association website and have a look at the membership section in terms of what re- what the requirements are um, there's various levels of diploma that you can do which don't necessarily require you to go to the university and obviously the degrees as well um, to various levels um, but I would say just because you don't necessarily just because you haven't gone through that sort of forestry and arboriculture um, specific uh, sort of degree pathway mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're closed off you know there's not, not excl- no, no exclusions no def- yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. not as long as you can evidence that you, you have that scientific understanding and you potentially might need to undertake some additional training you know, so what I did was the first few things that I did was go on some training courses externally again, um, that were sort of paid for by my by my employer. Um, things like uh, BS five eight three seven, so the British Standard five eight three seven tree surveying. That's typically what's often carried out for planning. So I went to do a training course on that, um, training course on winter tree ID. Um, th- those sorts of things are things that you could then use to evidence your sort of breadth of understanding in the field okay so so that's great so in terms of then um, the maybe professional qualifications so, so mm-hmm. um, I mean for obviously I imagine it's the chainsaw ticket and, and things like that and their pruning saws and um, but um, are, are there any sort of professional sort of qualifications you need to maybe undertake these uh, you know tree surveys then? So that's that's the thing. That's I guess where the distinction comes in between arbor- the arborist who's going to be on the ground caring for directly for the trees, undertaking pruning works, um, maybe even climbing work. Um, yeah, there, there. If you were looking to that profession, um, you may need things like chainsaw licenses and that sort of thing. But as an arboriculturalist, where you're looking more at the planning side of things, um, that's not necessarily required. I don't have a, a chainsaw license, um, so. What I'm primarily there to do is to undertake the surveys, identify which trees are of highest value or um, potentially need works undertaken, and then that's when it gets handed over to the arborist who's going to be actually on the ground undertaking the work. So in terms of the professional sort of certifications that you need, um, really the the sort of the the main one is um, potentially having undertaken, like I said, a sort of training course in tree surveys. Um, and I guess the, the the main one which I'm working towards myself at the moment is your um, professional tree inspection yeah. certificate. So that's the P- PTI. Um, that's a sort of three stage uh, sort of certificate, 
which uh, shows your understanding of trees and their biomechanics and um, undertaking tree hazards and ins inspection surveys. Yeah. Um, that very much starts out at BTI, so that's the basic tree inspection. That's something I've, I've uh, done fairly recently. And then onto your intermediate tree inspection course, the ITI, they're generally run about once or twice, a couple of times a year with the Arb Association, and there's a few other companies that run those courses. Um, that's really the sort of thing that you want to be aiming for um, to show your sort of professional um, understanding and uh, qualification in, in undertaking sort of tree inspections. Uh, but for actual, but for the sort of tree surveys that I would be undertaking day to day to inform planning applications and things like that, there's there's no real sort of it's not like a you need a bat license or something like that. Mm -hmm. All you need to do is is prove that you've you've got an understanding of the British standard fire eight three seven. You've got an understanding of trees, their their health, the different species. Um, so it's it's it, yeah, I'd say that it's there's not so much a specific. Uh, sort of qualification required there. Okay, so, I mean, it was. I don't know. Obviously, you, you worked with Wildwood Ecology for uh, uh, you know a, a few months now. Coming up towards yeah, about the, six or seven yeah, months, I think. Yeah. So, and I remember when you first arrived, it was like a you know a list of. Uh, I mean, when you were going for these qualifications, sorry, the the um, the, 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 the PTI, PTI yeah. itself. I mean, the list of well, first of all, you know, uh, reference books. <laughs> there's there's yeah, quite, a few, about 20, quite a few there. There's about twenty, yeah, twenty <laughs> books you need to have read to for the yeah. PTI, and then it's uh, there's a, a a couple of days worth of uh, training course you have to undertake with assessments, looking at everything from your identification of trees, uh, hazard assessment work, and then fungal ID. Mm. It's mm. it's it's really quite a in in depth assessment to to get that PTI. So. If, if if you're looking to potentially go into the field of arboriculture, I'd say looking at professional tree inspection and what's required to sort of build up towards that, that's definitely a, a good goal. It would be like the equivalent of getting a bat license as yeah. an ecologist, mm -hmm. I think. Because mm -hmm. it's, um, I mean, you mentioned there about the, you, you don't need, technically need these qualifications at all, you know, the, the mm -hmm. but, but um, so why... What is why did you go for it then? So what you know, it's something you don't need, but yet you know it's something that um to, you know you've uh, you've um, worked towards. And you say it's about equivalent of a bat license. So what does it give you, or what does it give maybe maybe the employer, or maybe even the clients? What does it you know what, what sort of sort of uh, advantage does it give um, you know, those three parties? I think it's very much like I said the sort of good ex uh, example I've heard is the fifty meter swimming badge. You may be able to swim very well, but if you don't have a fifty meter swimming badge and someone uh, needs to know whether or not you can swim, you're going to have to prove you can swim. Yeah. If you've got the badge, it proves someone has what has certified that you are able to swim. And I think it's a very similar situation where, especially as an ecologist, I felt like there was a real need to, to show that I, I know what I'm talking about yeah. when it comes to the field of arboriculture. Um, and so I think... Uh, it's it's really in that in that instance it's ensuring that there is a level of professionalism that you are undertaking. Um, the PTI in particular is mostly directed towards the sort of tree hazard assessment side of things, and that's where you can start to get into the very legal side of tree work, the the, the potential hazards uh, mm. that they they compose to human health is on the whole is very low. When you look at the statistics, trees across the UK are uh, they, they are not involved in that many fatalities compared to a lot of other potential sources of hazard, but they are a very 
when it does happen, it's it's quite a visible event, and people are worried about that. And if you're undertaking tree hazard surveys, um, that's where your professional tree inspection certificate or your intermediate tree inspection certificate really comes into play to show that you have had some kind of professional training um, and uh, yeah that you you are sort of you are undertaking this work in a professional manner and that you've you've had the relevant training so i think it's yeah, say both, both from professionalism but also competency you know mm-hmm. so either you know you're demonstrating competency uh, first of all i mean <laughs> to yourself that you know you re- you reach a particular level so it's a you know sense of achievement there but also competency to maybe maybe your employer and, and mm-hmm. certainly to uh, you know if you if you are marketing um, any of these services to demonstrate to clients that um, you've reached a certain level. I think yeah. it uh, gives you that, that confidence to the buyer, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so um, in terms of, we touched about skills there. So uh, we, we talked about right at the start, uh, well, towards the start of the conversation. So let's look at the skills as an ecologist and mm-hmm. also an arboriculturist. Um, I can never get that word right. No, but uh, uh, Are there skills that are both complementary and are there sort of distinct skills between the two as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely an interesting topic, and for anyone who's potentially looking to go into it, that's the thing that you'd be wanting to know. And that's definitely what I was wanting to know when when the opportunity was given to me was, well, what am I going to have to learn, and what from what I've already learned could be cross transferable. Um, I think obviously, if we're starting out with, let's assume you're an ecologist listening to this, it's fairly likely. Yeah. Um, you and the sort of skills that you've already got um, are most likely going to be sort of field work, uh, sort of writing scientific reports and um, sort of documentation of that field work you've been undertaking um, and species ID. Those are probably the three that are the most cross-transferable and applicable to an initial sort of arboricultural assistant level. Mm-hmm. What you're really going to be looking for is um, tree species identification, potentially fungal identi- identification, uh, so um, identifying different species of fungi, and undertaking sort of reliable survey data, so it's that whole scientific method of, you know, it's not just a scatter scatter gun approach. When you get to site, you you need to be very methodical when it comes to undertaking tree surveys. There's quite a lot of data that needs to be collected for each individual tree or groups of trees and woodlands. Everything from the species, the diameter of the stem, um, the crown spread, which is uh, sort of measured using a laser measure. Um, and then going into the sort of various categorizations in terms of the physiological and structural condition of that tree, um, I think it, it really suits someone who uh, enjoys or is good at that kind of scientific and methodical approach of making sure you collect all the correct data and then transferring that into the decision-making process that's being done back in the office. So in terms of the transferable skills, the main one really would be just identification of trees and mm. I think this is something that I uh, when I first got into it thought oh well I I know trees yeah. I'm an ecologist I know all our native trees and I very quickly realized that as an arboriculturalist you need to know a lot more than just our native trees <laughs> you suddenly start needing to know a lot of um, potential ornamental trees trees involved in forestry uh, trees that frankly um, don't even know how they you know you're starting to wonder why someone planted that particular tree in that particular place um, but that's the one thing I think there is a significant jump is the identification of trees is quite clearly as an arboriculturalist and as someone involved in tree surveys you need to be very good at yeah. um, however I'd also say that it's something that shouldn't put you off 
just because an arboriculturist who's been doing this for 10 years might be able to identify a tree at 20 paces just from looking at the sort of shape of the crown and the bark colour and the seeds. For you, as if you're starting out, and I very much when I was starting out, you might have to stop, take samples, look at your ID guides, looking at the exact you know shape of the buds and the leaves, and especially in the winter it starts getting difficult. But don't let that put you off. It's a skill that you can build up over time. So those, I'd say, are the sort of transferable skills at that beginning stage is the field work you're already undertaking is put you, it puts you in good stead to show I can, I can carry out field surveys and I, co- I can collect good data. That's really what I'd be looking for in a new arboriculturalist arbor is someone who is methodical, able to carry, carry out that survey work and, and bring back the data that we need to do our job. In terms of the skill that's non-transferable and it's something that um, I had to learn, it was AutoCAD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is the big one, which um, I think is a potential hurdle. And if you're interested in getting into the, the sort of profession, it's something that more and more these days I think is a requirement, even at quite a low level um, in our boroughculture, at least in terms of the British Standard 5837 and planning in particular. Um, obviously, for other, other sort of our boroughcultural roles, this may not be relevant, but in the role that I've been undertaking, um, you'll be preparing tree constraints plans and plans involving the retention and protection of trees um, and that's often involving plans from architects, drainage teams and almost all of them uh, as a fairly common industry standard work in CAD which is obviously computer-aided design software. Um, This is both the future and the present focus of arboriculture in planning um, and Producing those plans and being able to work in CAD is a skill that mm. um, I think you you will need, uh, and I would say it's a it's a difficult one because, like as much as I said for the other skills where, for example, phase one habitat surveys, you can just go find the documentation and read it. AutoCAD is an expensive piece of software. Um, the the full professional license that we use um, runs into you know, thousands of pounds for for a license. So I can't in good conscience sit here and say, just go buy yourself an AutoCAD license and and away you go. Um, but potentially I would say that's the sort of skill which perhaps if you're already working in GIS, so QGIS perhaps for your sort of phase one habitat mapping and surveys for that, that's, that's where I'd say there's a cross-transferable skill there. Even if you're not working directly in AutoCAD, you could prove competence in that sort of IT yeah. skill and sort of uh, software. Um, potentially the one thing that definitely is free online is there's a lot of information out there on how to use AutoCAD online on sources like YouTube, blogs, various websites. Mm -hmm. So even if you don't have the direct experience of working in CAD, you could at least potentially do some kind of online courses or or look into the sort of uh, skills of what's what's required to to use the programme. but most of it was learned on the job, I'd say. It was learnt on the job, making those plans, working you with drainage plans that have been provided provided to you. So that's really the, the sort of skills that I'd be looking for is someone who's methodical, able to carry out you know, good surveys, tree species identification, obviously that's the that's the, the big one, and yeah. then um, general I, IT and potentially some kind of CAD or GIS experience, really. 
Okay, so I mean, yeah, so there's quite a few different skills. Say some of those crossover, and some, yeah, yeah. I mean, complement each other, augment each other them, themselves. Mm -hmm. So, and but I also think maybe one thing that perhaps is missing from that skill set is about, I suppose, uh, you know, first of all, self awareness. Mm -hmm. You know, knowing what you don't know, and and then exactly. putting in a plan to actually get there. But equally so, the drive behind getting to that stage, so having the sort of, um, you know, talk about the proactiveness of, um, you know, when you started, well, even before you went to university, at university, during the time you were six months leading up to that first role uh, in doing, doing the field work, but also, uh, but also having that the end in mind. So this is what I want to achieve. How do I get there? And working backwards. So that's a skill to actually look at. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's what I want to achieve, but how do I get to that stage? Um, and I think that's, I mean, I, I think, you know, we, we do ourselves a disservice, you know, that, um, that actually is a really good skill to have, mm -hmm. you know, that having that, um, that drive behind you, you know, so not expecting things to come to you, but actually you going after it, you know, you know, uh, and things, things changing. So, um, um, it, it, and let's, let's, let's look at the end product. Um, we may have missed, I'm sure we missed a lot of skills out here. Um, but the end product, you know, the report itself, um, the plan itself, itself. So there's a lot of data capture mm -hmm. using IT uh, there to actually do that. So you know, the, the programs you mentioned, AutoCAD. Um, in terms of, I suppose, yes, looking at the the product we give to a client, the reason why we're doing a survey. I mean, um, you know, what does that look like in terms of its presentation and mm -hmm. um, also the, um, you know. Can anyone pick up a form anywhere to just put the data in and pr produce a report? Yeah, so I, th I think that's obviously once you sort of identify those starting skills and potentially even sort of starting starting to work in the field of arboriculture, that's obviously the main thing. Is much like an ecology. Um, at the end of the day, the reason we're doing it, the reason why, why we might be passionate and have that that uh, drive and the, the skill to to undertake this work is because we care about. The field we're in, so whether it's bats or trees, or, um, that's at the end of the day one of the, the main things we're there to be is an advocate for the these uh, organisms or habitats which are important and require protection. So I'd say the the, the sort of first output that we produce uh, is a more I think it's quite an intangible one is being that uh, sort of voice of advice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You may have someone who they. They're, most likely a lay person, they, they, they aren't aware of how important their trees might be or how safe they are um, or just how they may have the best intentions of wanting to keep these trees but don't know how to do so um, safely and to ensure that if they're, for example, going through planning, what they need to, to get successfully through planning. So I think that's the first sort of product that we provide is you know, it's, it's in the title, Arboricultural Consultant or Ecological Consultant. We're there to consult and provide advice. Um, in terms of then the sort of physical products, um, obviously we're producing, typically in terms of planning, it's an Arboricultural Impact Assessment. So that's a report that is um, submitted alongside a planning application and will set out what the sort of value of the trees are that are on a site or within an area um, which of them are suitable to be retained, which perhaps uh, aren't suitable to be retained, perhaps they're dead or dying, or if they are, how could they be retained as, for example, standing deadwood habitat safely? Um, that initially is a sort of 
issued as a sort of baseline tree constraints plan and survey schedule and that's typically the, the form that you see with all the data tabulated mm. um, and that is really the, the reason we prov- we produce that is um, to inform the design or ongoing develop process of a application plan or development project um, showing the root protection areas um, the crown spreads which trees are of higher value which trees are of lower value um, it's it's a lot. It's, you're right. It's a lot. It's a it's a very information dense product that is provided, and so that again, I think, is a skill that um, is really needed in the sort of agricultural consultancy side of things. Is being able to to speak to your client and engage with them to make sure that they they get out of it what they need. And in the day, that's that's what you're there for. Is that liaison that in between between the raw data and the end product? You're there to help them understand what their constraints are, what their opportunities are. Um, and then obviously once once you've gone sort of through that process, that's when you get the final the, the final piece of work, which is that that report that ho- hopefully sets out um, how they can undertake their, their application or their plan successfully while sort of retaining trees or even adding additional trees to to the area they're working in and I imagine does it um, you know your ability and your skills there because you you are dual you know qualifying should we say you know uh, in terms of both the eco and all uh, well yeah does does well that does that assist you know in terms of you can oh, see things in a different definitely. way than that yeah definitely I think one of the one of the biggest issues I've run into is despite how uh, closely related these are uh, these two disciplines are college and arboriculture um, it's it's funny how uh, how sort of separated they can be at times, mm-hmm. um, and quite typically the one that I came across the most is, for example, the trees that an arboriculturalist might be saying are of the lowest value, or maybe even can't be retained in within a development or, or an application, are the trees that we as ecologists are saying are brilliant for bats or dead wood habitat for saprophytic invertebrates, um, and so that's I think where it was. I could add a lot of value to both the, the client's experience but also the product that we can provide was being able to, to sit there with, with the two hats on as it were and to look at a tree and go okay as an arboriculturist I have to say that this tree is in failing condition um, it's, it's in a state where if you were to for example build nearby it may pose a significant hazard to human health and that's something that needs to be considered but on the other hand I can also see it from an ecological perspective of that tree is a brilliant potential habitat for which there are certain species that we have which which are reliant on that habitat and that's then a case of where you can now now that you have those two approach those two sides the same coin that's where you can go to whoever is the, the ultimate decision maker and say to them this is the situation we have a tree that on the one hand i'm saying may need to be removed on the, but on the other hand is very important for ecology what are the options here um and sometimes it's just a case of the fact that, well, yes, that tree is unsuitable uh, to be obtained as a living tree, but perhaps with some minor pruning work or just by ensuring there's a suitable buffer from it where people aren't going to be walking nearby it, perhaps that tree can just be retained in situ. And it, mm-hmm. this is the thing. A lot of trees, as they're in the declining stages um, of their life cycle, that's the thing that trees naturally do. And I think as human, you know, we as a society do need to to some degree learn learn to sort of live with that again with the fact that trees are a, a living organism um, and trees and woodlands for example the hazard they, they pose can sometimes be uh, sort of overstated 
Um, and there's a lot of species that we have which really do rely on those sorts of features on trees and we shouldn't we, we are starting to move away from a kind of a, a very sort of manicured approach that sort of trees that look perfect um, we are hopefully starting to get to a point where even members of the public are recognizing that that's not necessarily mm. a natural or even best way to to be managing these these habitats Okay. Okay. Great. And, and uh, no, I totally agree. I mean, I think that's uh, you know having a look at the. I think that you know your skills as both uh, as I say looking at it from two different you know, with those two hats on as you as you mentioned, I think really it helps. And have, having not just a single outcome in mind. Mm-hmm. So as an ecologist, we have okay, we need to protect protect the species. Rather, um, you know, a culturist is it's looking at okay, what's what's the health and you know cultural value of this tree, whereas. You know, from a planning consultant and you know client's point of view, completely different outcomes. They you know exactly. they they want to get their building you know the development completed. So I think there can be you know a very much a um, uh, yeah obviously this collaboration between all the parties and hopefully you know some successful outcomes which neither neither party may have thought of at the start if people engage with that so that's really that's really good. So in terms of then, I mean, you mentioned about um, obviously the health and safety of trees. Now we didn't fully talk about um, the you know obviously the methodology and that we'll save that for another day, but um, the use of I mean in terms of your assessment I mean we're talking about I mean we've got quite a few ropes in the office so we're talking about um, you know a lot of um, we're looking at trees from the ground based you know as a as an ecologist we tend to do a lot of ground based assessments but maybe uh, you know so yeah yeah and there's a lot of ropes here so in, obviously you you're doing aerial climbing too. Yeah, so this is a skill which um, I'd say when we're looking at, you said what sort of skills is an ARB slash ecologist or an ecologist looking to get into our boroculture or just someone looking to get into our boroculture as their primary discipline, those skills that I was discussing initially uh, to to start uh, that sort of process of work. Mm. Um, Into your sort of mid-career and later career or potentially even early on if this is something you were interested in, there is uh, a whole other sort of side to this which is, like you said, tree climbing. and this is where it's interesting because obviously I came into this from the consultancy and sort of professional scientific side, whereas a lot of people may come into our borough culture from the sort of our sort of undertaking tree pruning and tree management work, um, a, a role which is equally important because at the end of the day they are the ones who are actually in that tree making sure it's made to be safe and are often they're the sort of public facing sort of person who most uh, members of the public will actually interact with when it comes to their trees. So making sure that the two uh, actually work together is is really quite important. And so for me, um, having that sort of professional side of the uh, sort of understanding of our borough culture, it was quite important that I also understand what it's like to actually day-to-day work in in a tree. Mm -hmm. And so that's where tree climbing comes in. So this is a, a process that Basically, um, we're writing a blog on it at the moment, actually, funnily enough, about why would you climb a tree? You know, it sounds like something that you, perhaps you used to do as a kid just for fun. Why on earth would you pay someone to do that? Um, the main reason is, like you said, we obviously, all this work that I've been talking about so far, the BS5837 tree surveys, tree hazard inspections, a lot of bat surveys, they're done from the ground in what's called like a, a ground level tree assessment. Um, but obviously from the ground, there's only so much that you can gather in terms of data. And sometimes it gets to a point where you say we need to actually get up into that tree to inspect a feature, um, particularly for when it comes to sort of bats or the sort of 
uh, undertaking that pruning work or management that maybe needed to ensure a tree is safe so it can be kept safely in the environment it's in. Um, and so getting into the tree climbing side of things was a whole is a whole nother mm. uh, depth of of experience that I found myself uh, going into, and really it's, it's quite it's another one of those sort of um, uh, aspects that you could really delve very deeply into in terms of all the equipment you need, training, and uh, there's, there's sort of the experience that you require to do that safely and well. Uh, but start, starting out, essentially, I did. It was a similar sort of process of I, when I found out that this is an option that climbing trees is something that you could actually get paid to do and is actually very important as part of the role. Um, I started to look into well, what would be needed to do that, um, and essentially, the the first thing is that unlike the sort of ground level work for the tree climbing work, there is very much a certificate required. Like you said, with the chainsaw certificate, there is a there are. Uh, legally there are certifications required for your aerial tree climbing and rescue um, so this is something that's often provided by Lantra um, and you then get a certificate from that actual training course to show that you, you are able to competently and safely climb a tree using correct uh, rope and climbing techniques that sort of thing um, once you have that really the main reason we would, we would be doing that while we're investing in that as a potential survey method is it's the additional data that you can gather, isn't it? It's the same as why we're potentially investing in infrared cameras. Um, the data shows that if you're able to climb a tree, you're you're more likely to get a good picture of what either the condition of that tree is in, or quite commonly, why the reason why we might be doing it, the condition of potential habitat for bats. So if you're able to climb up into a tree and get an endoscope into a feature, you're going to get a lot more data. Um, in terms of what the potential roosting feature is like, if that tree has to come down, how well can we replace that that feature? Um, and sort of sparked from that, we're looking at sort of future proofing, improving the way that we can undertake our surveys. So we're looking at trail cameras, um, and are hopefully going to be trialing the use of those this survey season to see how well can those be used to undertake bat surveys. Sort of reducing the potential need for surveyors to be undertaking dusk and dawn surveys okay yeah so it's a, so in one way you know the the use of uh, you know the climbing you know tree climbing then can actually be obviously you know, beneficial to uh, very much the, to the client you know maybe even reducing the as you say reducing the need for certain surveys or or certainly um, um, either reducing the the number of surveys and number of surveyors and hence the cost I think it's very much it's an efficient it's an efficiency situation mm. um, one a, a climbing team can potentially climb several trees in a day, um, whereas that would have taken several surveys worth of surveyors to come at dusk or dawn survey those trees. Um, so it's it's yeah I'd say for if if you were a, a client um, looking at the product we can provide, being able to have someone that's able to climb a tree, inspect features, either to potentially scope them out and say actually that feature isn't suitable for bats, and further surveys aren't required. Yeah. Or, yes, surveys are required, and because of this additional information we now have, we can be more specific in the way we undertake our surveys. That's hopefully something which clients will be seeing more and more as, as, you know, as this is used, or, and it already is being used. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's about not, not just having a fun time and climbing a tree, but potential efficiencies for, for your clients. And also, ultimately, the main reason I see for doing it is for the species themselves, for the yeah. bats or the trees. Mm-hmm. 
ensuring we collect good, robust, scientifically proven data. Um, and that's just a lot, it's much easier when you're, when you're actually up in the tree itself. Okay, so uh, I say it, just um, touch briefly upon um, obviously the ability to climb a tree. I'd imagine that obviously you need the equipment, mm-hmm. but also what about yourself in terms of um, you know your capabilities then? So I mean, it, it, can anyone climb a tree? Do you think, or is it a um, certain you know do, 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 I'd, say I'd, mindset, but also physicality? I'd, I'd say it's de- it's definitely not it's not a role for everybody, and I'd be I'd say it's not necessarily something that. You should. It's not like it needs to be something you have to do. Like I said, I've been working as an arboriculturalist for um, I think about four, four or five years, um, on top of you know several years of working as a ecologist before that. And up until the last year or so, tree climbing isn't something that I was doing. Primarily due to it, I had enough on my plate, really focusing on all the other stuff we've been talking about. Um, but once I so so was getting interested in it, I would definitely say it's it's something it's hard. It's it's it is very difficult, um, and I'm by no means an expert in it whatsoever. I'm very much at, I'm back at that first stage of 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 a of a journey of getting to a point where hopefully one day can be an expert in this. Um, but I'd say the main reason I sort of got into that is wanting to understand the difficulty of that of that work. I feel very strongly that if if you're asking other people to do potentially difficult or hard works such as nighttime dusk and dawn surveys or physically climbing a tree with ropes, um, I feel like I'd, I want to understand how difficult or easy that that is. So that if I'm asking somebody to do that, I understand the limitations of what they're doing. Um, so I'd say it's definitely not it's not a that's not a career path for everybody, mm-hmm. and I'd say it's not something that you need to be able to do. Um, but if it's something which which does interest you, it's uh, it's potentially something that is not is much like volunteering working with bats. It's something that can be uh, fun even just outside of work. It's at the end of the day, there are even sort of um, professional um, competitions in tree climbing, um, and it, it can be a, a whole sort of sort avenue of fun and quite frankly, uh, you know, a good sport even outside yeah. of work so if, if it's something that interests you such as boulder I'd say you know if you're already rock climbing or bouldering um, or maybe maybe be laying on a rock climbing wall these are skills which I think would definitely stand you in good stead if you were looking to join as a tree climbing ecologist or arboriculturalist um, and that's where then perhaps you might have those physical sporting skills and skills to actually undertake the climbing where you now need to look at well the thing that my employer is going to need to see is I have the skills in terms of uh, the bat, the bat license, and uh, knowing how to inspect features for bats. Um, so I'd, I'd say, yeah, definitely not for everybody, but not for everyone. If yeah. you, if you, if you're of that inclination, I'd say it's a, it's a, it's a potential sort of career pathway that I think, again, mm-hmm. might some people potentially even listen to this might not even be aware that that's something that they could do. They could be paid to climb trees and. I'll be very honest. I think it's a very, very highly sought-after skill. Yeah. Uh, I think um, there was recently that the Bats and Trees conference last year, and they were looking at. I think the figures were something like a thirty percent shortfall in the number of climbers required by sort of twenty twenty-three or something like that. So it's clearly a skill in in very high demand. And if 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 it was something you were interested in, I think this is it's a good opportunity to be looking into at, at this point. Um, and the way that the survey techniques are moving forward with potential use of trail cameras and tree climbing being more and more regularly recommended, 
Um, I think if you were looking to future-proof your career and were interested in the, the physical field work side of things, um, I think that would be a good niche to potentially put, you know, to send you in good stead for the future. Yeah, yeah, good, you know, sort of a commercial route, but also, you know, you know, you know career move as well. Exactly. Okay, so, um, uh, Misha, you've been very generous for your time today, uh, and I just wanted to... Um, yeah, well, first of all, thank you for <laughs> for coming on to the Ecology Not Academy podcast. Now, uh, before we leave, though, just one final question, and that's really about sort of either advice like you'd give someone starting out in their career, or even maybe, maybe midway through their career. Um, so, what's you know, related to the obviously skills they need, what to focus upon, maybe some career advice that either good advice or bad advice you've been given as a on a career. So um, sort of um, you know sort of parting thoughts then. So um, about uh, career advice for anyone uh, coming into this career. Yeah. So I think um, the unique perspective I can give is having gone through the process of becoming dual qualified. I think that's uh, hopefully the the area that I might be able to to give some good sort of parting advice on is. Um, I think if, if you are interested in um, sort of additional qualification, whether it's you're an arboriculturalist arbor and you're interested in bats, and so you're thinking, well, maybe I could start working in ecology, or vice versa, an ecologist who's thinking, well, I really like uh, trees, woodlands, that sort of environment. I, I, I want to see that be like a champion for, for this particular type of habitat. Arboriculture sounds interesting. That's, a, that's something I'd never even heard of. Maybe I'd be interested in that. I think the the real key thing to to understand is the dual being sort of dual qualified brings both some some very unique difficulties and also opportunities. I think the biggest of those would be your time management. I think um, when it comes to this sort of thing, the the big opportunity you have is obviously to add a new string to your bow, a whole new potential reason for people to employ you. Um, but also just a whole new reason to enjoy doing the work you do and a reason to be driven. You know, this is a whole new field. Some people think, oh, well, I'm starting out right at the bottom again. I don't, I, you know, I'm, it's, that's a difficult position to be in. But equally, that's, such an, that's a very freeing position to be in where you suddenly have so many opportunities again. You know, you may have, you may have sort of specialised in your current field and now starting in this new field near mm. the bottom again, you're completely open to, to all these opportunities. But I would say the big, uh, the biggest difficulty you may face is managing the amount of time you have in order to do so. And I think if you if you want to go down that path of having two the two qualifications being dual qualified in two disciplines, you're going to have to be very clear in from the outset what your goals are and what your objectives are. Um, is that, for example, to focus on, for example, when I was starting out, uh, or midway through sort of starting out in arboriculture, I had to make it very clear to my team that, for example, I wouldn't be available for as many ecology surveys. Um, or, for example, I may not be able to undertake as much project management because I'm having to focus on learning these all, all these brand new skills and undertaking arboricultural surveys. And so during that time, um, hopefully if you've got a good supportive team, they can understand uh, the limitations you might have, how you know how much time you actually have, and so I think it's something that I think I really struggled with to be, to be at the beginning. So I'd be honest, it's it's a it's a difficult path to go down, um, but when you get it right, it can be very freeing and liberating to have the the freedom to decide what you want to do. Do you want to do you know uh, more? For example, I want I said well obviously as I'm working with trees and arboriculture, 
in ecology, I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on bats and trees. That's what something I want to champion and be really good at. Um, obviously, that means that other things you you're not going to have time for. You you simply can't do. You know, there's only so many hours you have, and in order to be good at it, you're gonna have to be careful with how much time you've got. And I think my biggest piece of advice is know when to say no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I that's I think don't don't be afraid to say when um. No, that that would be too much for me to take on. Um, ideally, then look to have some solutions. No, but perhaps if I was to take on this part, someone else might be able to do this bit. Or no, but if I, for example, if someone else was to take this job off of me, then I could do that. But ultimately, I'd say there's no benefit to saying yes to absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. I think especially for someone starting out, it's very easy to fall into that trap of feeling like you have to say yes to everything and that comes into the time management thing is if you say yes to everything eventually you're going to have too much and you're not going to be able to do it to the best of your abilities so understanding where your limitations lie and it it may take a bit of time it may take a while of saying yes to a lot of things and then realizing okay that was too much Let's rein it back. Let's get to a point at which I have a nice balance of yeah. ecology and art, yeah. or just the ecology work, or just the art work. Um, and so I think that's the, my biggest take-home message is I, I wish I'd known sooner to sometimes you need to be feel empowered to say no. Just say no. There we exactly. go. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. No, fantastic. Well, uh, that's I think that's that's great parting advice, you know, and uh, I think we, you know, I think our audience can take a lot from that, I'm sure. You know, I can certainly take a lot from that yeah. <laughs> as well, just wait to say no. Uh, but for today, uh, Nisho, uh, thank you for joining me uh, on the Ecology Academy podcast. Well, thanks very much. If you enjoy our show and want to help, then please click on the subscribe button and rate us on your favourite podcast player. As that's how you can inspire ecologists in the making, help retain great talent and provide insights of our industry to a much wider audience of why ecology really does matter. Thank you. And remember, learning is a lifelong endeavour. So stay curious, be adventurous and build bridges for others to cross.